My topic today is spiritual gifts and obedience. It was downtown Buffalo, New York. I was 19 and a half, and I'd just been told to get in the car. The car headed onto the throughway, and I could tell by the road signs that we were heading south towards Pennsylvania. We exited the throughway and arrived in a small town in the southern tier of New York State. The driver toured through the town and showed me streets pointing out houses where families obviously lived with bikes and toys in the yard. And then he dropped me off at a gas station and he said, I'll pick you up here after 10.30 tonight. It was four. There I was alone with only my encyclopedia sales bag and my purse. I walked up and down the streets of the small town and saw houses and apartment buildings. It was really hot out. Eventually, I stopped by some bushes, and I put down my encyclopedia sales bag, and I had a thought. Nobody knows where I am right now. My parents certainly didn't. They were on a business trip in Cleveland, Ohio. My brother didn't. He was in the Navy somewhere on a ship. My sister was at work, and my brother was just at home somewhere. Then it occurred to me, the only person who knows where I am right now is God. A feeling of confidence and peace flooded over me, and a circle of protection. This is a moment I often go back to, and that feeling of protection and peace has viscerally stayed with me, and I've felt it ever since then. I did get picked up at that grubby gas station sometime after 11 o'clock that night, and I got dropped back home at my house. I was in this situation because before my father had gone on his business trip, he had said to me, when I get back, I want you to have a job. As soon as he left town, I answered an ad from the newspaper, and I got on a bus and went downtown to Buffalo to the encyclopedia office and I got trained to sell encyclopedias. <laughs> After quite a few days, just like the one that I briefly mentioned, I came home late one night. My father was still gone. And I was talking to my 16-year-old brother. And I said to him, Dan, should I quit? And he answered, 16, don't quit now. Wait until you can quit on your own terms when you don't feel it's a failure. I said, wow, pretty good advice from a 16-year-old brother, my little brother. I never did sell any encyclopedias. <laughs> Even though my, so my supervisor told me that I had a really great door opener. I would get into like 25 or 30 homes. I didn't feel it was a personal failure to quit, though, because the only reason why I never closed the deal is because I didn't want to sell books to people that couldn't afford them. And I never forgot the sense that I was never alone out of God's protection. He was always close to me. As Susan said, I was born in Buffalo, New York, in a suburb called Chictawaga, land of the crabapple tree. And I was the middle children of Mary and Tom Johnston. Middle, we always said we avoided middle child syndrome by being twins. I had two brothers, older and younger. 
We are very much a church-going family. We are active. My parents were on every board, every committee, leaders in the church, soloists. But I myself accepted Christ when I was 11 years old. At that time, Billy Graham's organization had youth workers in our area. And my sister and I went on a bus with our girlfriend's church to a great big youth rally. There, the youth team presented the simple gospel message using a flannel board. I accepted Jesus Christ right then and there at the flannel board presentation. The summer I was 15, I finally got a room of my own in our house. I used to open up the window at night and look up at the moon and just pray and pray and pray and talk to God about everything what I was going to do in my life, my boyfriends. What should I do about everything? We just, I just talked and talked and talked and talked to God. Jesus and I were best friends by the time I was trying to sell encyclopedias. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, but school was hard for me, especially math and science. I had to take some of those things twice in order to pass, but I I didn't go and get into the state college where my mom wanted me to go, but I did get into a private Catholic girls' college that actually was my first choice. In a funny way, I felt that this again was a special gift to me from God, that I got to go there because that's where I really wanted to go. I loved and adored the academic atmosphere of that college. But you know, during the college years, you have an inside story and an outside story of your life. Things are going on in both areas. During those years, the Lord was a constant companion of mine. He was always protecting me. I relied on his guidance. I learned more and more to listen to the Lord. And a few times, he actually got me out of some pretty dicey situations and kept me safe. I listened to the Lord, and I relied on his direction. I was serious-minded, and I knew that for my life to be successful, I would need the right life partner. I took it very seriously, even in college. I was practical, and I thought about character traits, loyalty, steadfastness, responsibility. I knew I'd only do well in life if I had a person with me who could be focused and be able to embody those traits. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and it was a very emotional time because I was almost engaged to my college sweetheart. It was the time of the draft and the Vietnam War and my college sweetheart was drafted and sent to Korea. During those 13 months, I prayed about if this was who the Lord wanted me to spend my life with. In the end, it was clear to me that the Lord had, had made his guidance known to me that no, he had other plans for me. Back in freshman year, I had met a, a friend of my brother's at the University of Michigan. My twin sister and I had gone out to visit our brother for the weekend. Two of his friends came to pick us up at the airport and I saw for the first time this really cute guy, friend of my brother's. 
My sister saw him too, and the next thing I felt was her elbow in my ribs and the death stare that she was so good at using to communicate with me in our special twin language, <laughs> saying, he's mine. I remained calm, trying to be cool. It was not going to be impressive to fight with my twin sister in front of these cute guys. So I said nothing. We went through the weekend. My brother had planned some fun activities, parties, concerts, and things to do with him. And by Sunday afternoon, we were returning home back to life as it normally was, back in Buffalo. A few months later, though, this really cute guy wrote to me and asked me to come out for a weekend just to visit him, staying in the girl's dorm, of course. You see, even then, the Lord was planting a seed for guidance in my life because that cute guy was Bob McDougall. <laughs> we wrote letters for four years and on and off, and then after graduation, through many ex experiences, we got engaged and got married. We moved to Michigan, and I taught while Bob finished his master's at the University of Michigan. And then we moved again to Massachusetts, and we both got jobs around the Boston area. And then we moved again up here to Andover, and my dream finally came true of the best job I, I just loved. And I was in elementary school at Doherty Elementary School here in Andover. I loved every day. During that time, I went out to visit my twin sister, who lived out in Seattle, Washington by now. And she'd gotten very involved out there in a movement that I'd never heard of before. And she kept talking in kind of a crazy way about getting baptized by the Holy Spirit. I was very interested, but also kind of a little scared. I'd never heard of the gifts of the Spirit spoken of in this concrete way. Her church experiences and all her friends seemed so alive and so exciting. I was jealous of all that experience and excitement she had. While I was visiting her, she took me to the home of a church friend. And after a little while, another woman arrived who came in the room and she said, Is someone in here wanting to hear more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I was blown away. No one had ever talked like that in my presence before. Yes, I'm interested, I replied. So they told me all about it and encouraged me to pray for it. And eventually my sister did pray for me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was, of course, already a Christian and loved the Lord. But the baptism actually felt like a brand new kind of life inside of me, like a fluttering feeling. And mostly this new intense love of Jesus. His name and his word and everything about him was just so much more wonderful to me than ever before. I came back to cold New England, empty with the empty thought that all the fun was out there in Seattle. What was I going to do in New England? I had no idea where to go with this new hunger I had for Jesus. My husband and I were going to a Unitarian church at the time. He wasn't even a Christian. I said, now what, Lord? What am I going to do? I don't know how I'm going to go about this. Even if I knew one person who could help me, I'll be fine. God, send me one person. A few days later, a friend of my husband's, a former teacher, who was now home with her small children, 
called up. She was a friend that we only saw occasionally. She said, I was putting my son to bed and falling asleep in there on his bed, and the Lord kept waking me up and saying, call Diane McDougall. Call Diane McDougall. Somehow, in the conversation, I told her that I'd just been out to Seattle and gotten baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then she said, oh, that's why he wanted me to call you. I go to a charismatic prayer meeting at my Catholic church every Thursday night. Want to come? <laughs> yes. So that was the amazing way the Lord answered my prayer. I went to that charismatic prayer meeting every Thursday night for the next two years. And in that time, we left the Unitarian Church, found a church here in Andover, a church that we could go to together. I didn't want to leave my husband alone and go to a different church. I just didn't feel that was right. My mother said, always go to church with your husband. And I just listened to that, even though it wasn't my favorite choice. The sermons were intellectual at our church, and Bob liked the minister, and it was kind of evangelical, as far as I could tell. It was a big improvement. I kept going to prayer meetings and listening to Christian radio and praying to the Lord to lead me. I took the seven-year Bible study fellowship course that was here at Free Christian Church. It was my first introduction to Free Christian Church. I continued in all those years to teach Sunday school, raise two children, grow in my faith, study the Bible, and I also felt the Lord was leading me into a new calling. I was kind of afraid to admit it out loud at first. I started to have this burning desire to be a counselor. It meant starting over, getting a master's degree in a whole new field, really going into the unknown again. Why couldn't I just go back to teaching, Lord? Stay at home, you know, on the same schedule with everybody else in the house. Have vacations with them. Come home in the afternoon. Huh? But the burning desire kept coming hotter and hotter inside me. And money was tight. How could I justify it? Lord, help me. What should I do? I knew I wanted to go to a really good program, which really meant an expensive program. And it also meant I'd have to go into Boston. Oh, Lord, help me. The burning desire was unrelenting. Step by step, I began to look into it, take prerequisites, study for the daunting GRE. You remember, I was never a good test taker. But I passed, praying, 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 Lord, help me. I got accepted to Boston College Psychological Master's Program. Yay! Another miracle. I heard that I could use my Massachusetts teacher certification to get a job at Boston College and a fellowship. I applied for it, and I got a job and a fellowship supervising Boston College student teachers out in the field. The fellowship gave me money and tuition credit. It paid for my master's program. It's still one of the most amazing experiences to me that the Lord was leading me and providing me and equipping me for the call that was already burning in my heart. I supervised student teachers in Roxbury, South Boston, Newton, Stoneham. It was the perfect segue from my previous uh, profession to my new one. He even helped me find the school buildings all over Boston, and this was way before GPS. <laughs> I would pray, okay, Lord, help me find the building. Yes, I had some sketchy little directions that I got in the education office, but they usually were lacking important 
information like the maze of streets that I would have to go through in South Boston, Boston, and Roxbury. But I never got lost. I could feel the Lord showing me all the way. I would even get, I would just get so used to relying on his help and listening to the Lord and following his direction. It was my 100% lesson plan. Being obedient to his directions is the only way. After graduation and my master's, I had to start all over again in an entry level in my new career. I was, it was humbling and frustrating and hard. The learning curve was steep and grueling. Having a master's in psychology pretty much is about the only thing, you only get an entry level job. I was grateful for the job I got at the psychiatric hospital up in Nashua, New Hampshire, a place, a great place to learn as a newbie. The baptism by fire, too. Being sprayed with a fire hose is one way it usually felt because of the intensity of the problems I was facing there, the misery of the people I was seeing. After being trained um, by my supervisor, she would usually greet me the next day with the comment, so, you came back. <laughs> Some of the things that were happening were like, the time like a four-year-old would arrive after being in an um, ambulance for four hours coming to our child unit because it was the only child unit in all of New England. And to see a four-year-old get out of a hospital, out of an ambulance and have to be admitted to the hospital, I never saw children in so much misery before. Often teenagers would arrive in five-point restraint and they you know, I, the, your heart would just break looking at them. One time a girl arrived, she'd been in custody of DSS and been sent up to us, and she was in the custody of the state, so she had no guardian or parent with her, and we were trying to get her settled onto the unit, unit and she escaped. And now, before you knew it, I was running down this long road into behind a shopping center trying to find her, we had, had to get the police involved, actually, and they did find her and bring her back, but that was like at one in the morning, so that wasn't too fun. For the next seven years, I usually left for work about two o'clock in the afternoon, and I would get home about one o'clock in the morning, because it was an hour commute for me. All I can say is the Lord protected me on all those lonely nights, all those scary days, and I often felt so often like I did when I was 19 and a half. No one knows where I am right now, Lord, but you. But I'm with you, he would always reply. I'm with you. Working in the hospital for seven years, I was able to get the 1,000 hours of supervision and the extra graduate credit that I needed to get licensure in the state of Massachusetts. I applied for and obtained my state licensure as a licensed mental health counselor. Once I received that licensure, I could get a job as a psychotherapist. I did get that job, and now only seven miles from home in Lawrence, the Lord provided another learning curve. There I met and worked with wonderful people, both professional staff and clients, and I met two wonderful other women who later did become my business partners. 
We've been in our own business now for 14 years, another learning curve to go out on our own. And we have our own private practice in Lawrence. And this is where the Lord has, was leading me all along. All my experiences as a child, as a student, as a teacher, as a parent, a friend, a wife, a worker, a Christian, are all what the Lord uses with me every single day. I rely on him, I hope, and pray for everything. We have never advertised in our office, but the Lord brings a steady stream of people to me. Sometimes I'm not sure why they're there until I listen to their story, and I'll go, oh, all right, yes, Lord, I see why. Sometimes people come in with desperate situations of marriages or relationship, or tragedy has struck their lives, and they've never experienced tragedy before, or abuse has happened, or teenagers with so much anxiety they can't even go to school. And my heart breaks for them. They're getting bullied on the internet. They're getting bullied by their friends. It is so heartbreaking. I want to go out there and go into the schools again at times to run workshops and everything because these kids are in pain so much. Lots of times I said to the Lord, what do you want me to say now, Lord? And he always gives me ideas. Through all the experiences, the Lord has equipped me to discern, to diagnose, to identify, and to create plans for the changes that need to occur in the lives of those in front of me. I am still teaching, but now I teach concepts about living life, about going forward through dark circumstances, about turning to God for everything. I keep tracks in my drawer and Bibles, and when the time is right, I pull them out. I have copies of favorite scriptures that I can just give to people. It's daunting and hard at times. I see the Lord. I try to see what the Lord is showing me. I ask him, what do you need me to see here, Lord? And he always shows me. I still work with children, high school students, college students, adults, and families. It's a privilege and a joy to be part of their lives. But it can be very hard. And that's where obedience comes in. Jesus understood mental illness. He cured it by prayer and by casting out demons. I've seen miracles. I know some of the people that I've seen have survived suicide attempts because of the Lord's protection. Now they have hope. And then I can use that when they survived to go further and say, who do you think saved you? God. Yes, I talk about my faith lots of times. People are actually hungry for the good news. He's equipped me and called me, used me, and sustained me. He is the whole answer to every question. He's my teacher, my protector, my guide, my savior. As I work, I try to ask him to speak through me and he's made my life, brought me wonderful pe people and all these experiences. He's corrected me, chastened me, scolded me. And he's woven thoughts and experiences together and given me words to explain to people elusive concepts in concrete explanation. He's given me a practical mind and a love for children and people. He cares for me. And you know what? He cares for you just as much. He loves you so much, and he's waiting for you to turn to him and invite him to get involved in your life. God already loves you. 
He wants to be with you every single day and accept him. You don't have to jump through hoops or say special prayers or go to church on special days or certain days. He loves you. He wants to be closer to you than any brother or any sister. He's gifted you, given you talents and skills. He wants you to use them. He put you right here for a reason, a wonderful reason. He knows you, and he knows all about you. He'll guide you. And when we stray uh, and go our own way, he's patient. He prods us back onto the path. But it's our responsibility to be obedient, to use all the wonderful gifts that he's given us. Develop those gifts. Refine them. Link them together. Explore them. Showcase them for others and for him. He's pleased when you shine. He wants us to be joyful and to succeed. My story's been going on for more than 50 years, and it's still very exciting. In fact, it's actually more exciting than ever. I wanted to live an important life like the missionaries who would come back from India and talk at my church camp about how they taught children to read and taught them about Jesus, just like I was taught with the flannel board. There are missions right here. How does the Lord want to use you? Do you know him? Do you know he loves you? He died for us, and we're never alone, not ever to be afraid of death. How do you love? How do you love others? Do everything as if you're doing it for Christ. That's what makes all the difference. To live this way, we have to have the power of the word in our lives. You want spiritual power in your life? Go to the source of all power the word. Ask him into your life, and he will never fail you. You know, in the world, people are going to disappoint you. They're going to fail you, but he will never cancel the tour, cancel the TV show, retire, or shun your need. He's so able to meet your need better than any text, any tweet, any post, any like. When he lets you know he loves you, he's there for good. Want a message at 2 o'clock in the morning? Don't look at your phone. Pick up the Bible. There's a letter in there waiting for you. You want love? Read the book of Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon. You want inspiration? Read about Samson, Enoch, Nehemiah, Hezekiah, Elijah, Daniel. Then go out and be like Deborah, Rahab, Lydia, Abigail, Ruth. It's real. No cable access required. No wireless internet needed. He's always been wireless. He's always been right here. We only want more of him. Thank you.